Happy bonus episode, listeners. I hope you're ready for a brief trip through what it's like to have a stroke, because that's the show today. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, and I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Marsha Moran. Marsha suffered a major stroke back in 2014 and decided she would not stand by and let her new disabilities control her life. She spent a lot of time and many years in various therapies, as you'll soon hear, recovered almost completely, has written a book discussing the entire experience, and is now certified as the only civilian in the U.S. without a medical license certified to provide microcurrent neurofeedback, a treatment that Marsha credits a large portion of her recovery to. She was also nice enough to send me a copy of her book, so now I really need to build a proper set and display all the cool things I've been sent or given. If you're ready, let's get inspired to fight our limitations. Welcome to the show, Marsha Moran. Thank you, Colton. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the show. It's very appreciated. Why don't you I... give a little introduction about who you are and uh, what you do to the people listening? So my name is Marsha Moran. I live in Centerville, Virginia, and my strength is that I had a stroke and I learned how to get past the obstacles the stroke put in my way. Yeah, that is definitely a strength that I was very interested when we set up this interview. I was like, okay, this is a, a very rare experience for people to have in general. And then <laughs> even more rare for someone to like, you know, get through it. Right. So people have... Uh, choice to make. And I think this is true for everybody. You either look at where you are in life and say, I don't like this. I want to be there. And you work very hard to get there. Or you say, I don't know. I just give up. And you sit on a log or your couch and watch TV. And that's it. I don't think there's anywhere in between. Yeah. You're either trying to better yourself or you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's probably a fair assessment. So let's, let's go all the way back. Was, did you have any like a pre indicator for health or any like family history of stroke or anything that would have said like, Hey, there's a risk. This might happen. Okay. So I was a really good, uh, well, I ran three or four times a week. I had normal cholesterol. There were no indications in my mind that I was going to have a stroke. On the family side, I do have people who've had strokes. Um, my grandma did, and she died. Uh, my mother had an aneurysm and she, at birth, so she also had a stroke at that point. Um, but I was only 53, so I thought if I would have a stroke, it would be much, much later in my life. <laughs> yeah. So. Sure. Um, and I don't know. And I know you're not a, a neurologist, but is there a genetic component that makes you more likely to a stroke? Um, not in my instance. So I had a carotid artery dissection, um, which means that 
they didn't know why I had a stroke. It just happened out of the blue. Um, they don't know what caused it. It just, they say one to 2% of people have these. Okay. So. Yeah, that, that I think is what is terrifying to me <laughs> about a stroke is it's like, you know, you said you were running, you were healthy, like there, there's just like, you can't health your way out of a stroke. Right. And right. I, that feels terrifying to me because it's like, it can just happen. Yeah. Um, but you can worry about something like that happening, or you just can go, if it happens, I'll deal with it and not let it rest on your mind that you had something to deal with it because you never know. Of course. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I know this is a very broad question, but uh, what was it like? Like, what was the story that happened when you, you had the stroke? What was the kind of experience? So it was Sunday morning and I woke up and I felt weird. So I texted my friend, Rochelle, to tell her that I wasn't going to make breakfast with her. And I couldn't read the text. I didn't know it yet, but I had aphasia, which is you're not able to communicate to other people. So it's reading, writing, um, speech, or cognition. So I didn't know that at the point. And I just, well, I'll just text her later, right? I put the phone down. I rolled over and I had the most imaginable and unimaginable headache happen. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. That was the wrong thing to do. When I woke up the next time, I was paralyzed on the right-hand side. And I knew that I needed to get up and find help, or I needed to just maybe lay there and possibly die, right? So I rolled out of bed and I dragged myself across the carpet to the door, which was closed. And I reached up and I don't know how many times I reached up, but I finally snagged the door and pulled it open and uh, took a rest because I was tired. <laughs> and then I dragged myself down the hallway and I totally ran out of gas out in the hallway because I just, I didn't have any energy left to move. I go, okay, well, my husband is downstairs because it's Sunday. So he'll come up for something to drink, right? Crash. Okay, I don't know what went crash, but something made a sound. Jim came upstairs. He saw me. He said, can you talk to me? Nothing. So he called 911, took around, uh, look around the apartment to see if there was anything there that he could see. There wasn't. He came and he sat by my side. Yeah. I had such a terrible day that day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, sorry to, sorry to bring it all up, but it's one of those, like, you know, like I said, it's such a rare experience to ever be in the situation that it, it leaves you to wonder, like, you know, did you know it was a stroke or is it like, you know, people who are unfamiliar with these these symptoms or what's happening to them, like it doesn't click for people like, oh, 
I'm exactly having this issue right now. I had no idea. So, and neither did my husband. The paramedic came through the door and the first question he asked is, when did I have my stroke? And it's like, okay. <laughs> um, so the symptoms are of a stroke. There's something called BFAS. That's an acronym for B is balance, E is eyes. So if you lose vision in one or both of them, uh, F is face. So is your face drooping? Um, A is for arm. So is your arm drooping? S is for speech. Are you having slurred speech? And T is for time. It's time to call 911 if any of those are happening. And yes, I know it now. <laughs> Hopefully you never have to use it again. Well, uh, yes, but you know, um, so they say that 25% of people will have a stroke at some point, which is a pretty high percentage. That is pretty high. Yeah. And I know I've seen, I've seen some different, you know, uh, like signs that say these are symptoms of a stroke and they all have, you know, some form of acronym on them. Um, yeah. I think, I think that one's very good because it's like very clear and remember, mm -hmm. like, it's easy to remember. Yeah. Um, so then, sorry to interrupt again. Uh, so then what happens? Like the paramedic says, okay, you're definitely having a stroke. Time to get <laughs> in the ambulance. So before they got me in the ambulance, they decided whether or not I would have tissue plasminogen activator. That's TPI. And at the time I had my stroke, you had three and a half hours to administer it. And they couldn't tell when I had my stroke, so they decided not to. And I'm going to say that was a good thing because I would have had another bleed on top of my first one had I had it. So they followed protocol and um, I'm grateful for it. When I arrived at the hospital, I had been unconscious, so I didn't know. Um, I woke up and I don't know what time I woke up, but I had a hospital gown on. <laughs> a needle in my arm and my husband was at my side. And so I thought, okay, everything is fine. And I went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least then you're like, okay, other people are looking out for me. I don't, I don't have to, you know, crawl myself out of bed and across the house to try and get help. Like I'm going to be watched over. Yeah. Yeah. So the first night in the hospital, I had a physical therapist came in and she had a, it was probably three inches around, but she had a belt and she put it around my waist and said, okay, we're going to go for a walk around the nurse's station. <laughs> I went, ah, right. So the, the good thing is she held me up and I didn't fall. The bad thing is I walked like Igor in Young's Frankenstein. <laughs> That's really all I can remember is like clump, clump, clump. Um, and as soon as she got me back to the bed, I was out again. Yeah. Yeah, it so. was just exhausting, I imagine. Yeah. So how long were you hospitalized? I was in the hospital for five days. I was in the rehab hospital for two weeks. Okay. Are those fairly normal as far as you know? So each stroke is different. So each person is assessed and 
they determine how long they're going to keep you in based on where you're at. So I can't tell you what the normal range is because I don't think there is a normal range. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's another one of those that's just like entirely person to person, hard to, hard to gauge. Um, Obviously someone that had had TPI, like you're talking about, could have a very different road to treatment and recovery. What is a rehab hospital? A rehabilitation hospital. Yeah. Is it just like a, like physical therapy? Physical speech and occupational therapy. So when I had my stroke, um, I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I mean, I could do nothing by myself. So they look to give you the tools so that you can get better and go home. So when I left the hospital, I could walk with a cane, believe it or not. Um, Some people are still in the wheelchair when they go home, Um, but I was lucky. I'm saying I'm lucky. I'm lucky in some respects. So I had aphasia and aphasia is that place where you have a stroke or brain injury or a tumor or whatever and you lose the ability to maybe talk, write, read, or um, communicate. And so I had the kind of aphasia, and it's broke, so it's right here. It's just in front of your left ear. I could hear everything, and I knew exactly what I wanted to say, but they wouldn't come out of my mouth. And so... um, When I went home, I got through all my therapy with uh, insurance, and that was uh, took me through August of 2014. And I was still not able to walk very well. Um, I really couldn't move my arm very much. I couldn't use my hands. So I hired a physical therapist, and she worked with me for a year. And at the end of that year, I could walk normally. I, or I looked like I walked normally because I still have some pain and stuff. But um, I think there's a difference because we're talking about the physical side, but there's the talk about I couldn't speak to people. Right. Yeah. So I had that for three and a half years, the aphasia. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time. Okay. So, and most people, in my opinion, most people don't get over it or they get over it very, very slowly. So I know somebody who's had it for 10 years and he speaks like I do. Wow. But I know people who've had it, you know, five or six years and they, almost don't speak at all so it's really depending on who the individual is yeah i think the the time is probably shocking to most people that hear that number where you're like yeah it took me three three and a half took someone else you know 10 a a lot of people even that have been to the hospital like oh i broke my arm would think like, man, I spent six months in a cast and that was the longest time of my life. 
And you're yep. like, it took me literally seven times longer than that to be able to speak normally again. Yep. And I speak normally because I had um, a type of therapy that I think isn't really well known about. So I had IASIS microcurrent neurofeedback. And the doctor who treated me treated me for 16 times. That's one six. And at the end of that, I could speak like I do today. Okay. And what's involved in that? So it's um, a little box. It's about, I don't know, uh, the size of uh, three smartphones. <laughs> okay. okay. And um, it has five electrodes that come out and you put the electrodes on your head and it emits a very, very small pulse of energy. So it's neurofeedback. It, the, it goes into your brain and it experiences something and it comes out of your brain. So there's um, something in the neurofeedback device that's um, connecting with you. And although I didn't feel anything, it apparently worked. I, I mean, um, take what you can get on that, right? Yeah. So 85% of traumatic brain injury survivors who have tried this neurofeedback device get better. Wow. Yeah. It's, that's it's huge. Yeah. It's an incredible piece of technology. Yeah. Um, and I am the only one without a doctor's license, I guess you would say, that has been approved to use it. Oh, congratulations. That's really yeah. cool. Uh, what was the yeah. process like for that? Well, uh, many years. Um, I spoke to my chiropractor, who is actually the one who gave me the neurofeedback. I talked to the guy who invented the machine, and I've been talking to him for a number of years. And he decided that if I would work with Dr. Fuller, he would give me the device. So I bought it. I went out for, um, for um, training. So the people who use this device are fully trained. And that was it. Wow. I mean, still though, to be like, there is no one else that is, you know, without going to medical school, that uses this device, like that speaks a lot to the commitment you had to get, you know, trained on this device though. Yeah. So do you now offer that service to other people who have had traumatic brain injuries? I do. If they're in the Virginia area, Northern Virginia area, if they're not in Northern Virginia, call me or email me and I will get with you and we'll see if we can find it in your area. And if it's not in your area, then um, if you know of a doctor who'd be willing to use it, we'll see if we can get them hooked up. Wow. Because I mean, so many people are, I think it was 4 million people have aphasia and Almost nobody has heard of this device. Is it 
just because it's new? It's been around for 15 years. This particular device has been around for 15 years. It's like he, it was developed by a guy in California, not somebody who was part of Big Pharma. I think that's the real reason. Yeah. yeah. That certainly uh, tends to halt progress in some directions. It does. But I mean, the fact that it has been around for 15 years also speaks to its validity. Because it's yeah. like if it had been, you know, if it had been out for three years, I'd be like, okay, is it fully tested? Um, you know, but you're like, it's been out for over a decade. Like people have had lots of time to check it and say like, okay, well, we can't disprove it. So we can't shut it down. Yeah. So it's FDA approved. They have done studies on it. Um, there's a study that they did with uh, brain injury survivors that's actually downloadable on the homepage. <laughs> so if anyone's interested, if they go to uh, microcurrentnowfeedback.com, they can download it and, and see for themselves. Yeah, just like a little PDF that they can they can read over. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so obviously that's very impressive. Did you get over all of your physical all of your physical effects before your aphasia? No. So um, I still have ringing in my ear. <laughs> so tinnitus has been a real bear. And everything I've found to date has not worked. <laughs> it's not to say there isn't something out there, um, but it hasn't worked for me yet. I still have pain on the right-hand side, but it's so minimal compared to other things that I just ignore it now. I think my husband will tell you that he doesn't like watching me walk sometimes because when I get nervous, my right arm comes up. (laughs) But I think all in all, that's pretty minimal, right? I mean, it, it definitely is. How long has it been since your stroke? Eight years. Eight years. I mean, eight years, like like I said, when we were talking about three and a half years, I think for a lot of people that listen to the show, they're going to be like three and a half is a long time. But, you know, eight years later, you still have, you know, a physical effect from it, even if it were just tinnitus or it were just pain. Like these are still effects that last, you know, almost a decade now. Yeah. So the American Stroke Association says that 10% of stroke survivors have uh, minimal impairment. 25% have moderate impairment, and that would be like me. So I am fully functional. Um, I have a few things that are a little bit wonky, but I'm really pretty close to normal. Um, 40% of people have um, major impairment and they probably need help and 10% have a uh, major, major impairment and they have to go into a nursing home. Yeah. And the others don't make it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is, I think also something people should hear where they're like, wow, that's really like, 
I couldn't imagine coming out of something with these like permanent impairments like you, where it's like, oh, I don't want tinnitus or pain. And you're like, I am part of the luckier one in four. Like there are three in four that are doing much worse than me. Right. Um, so, I mean, out of all that as well, what is kind of the most surprising thing that happened through all of this? I'm not sure there's one thing. <laughs> I think for me, the most important thing is that my husband was there 100% of the time. So if he'd been a different person, I would have been different as well. So when you've had a stroke and you're laying there and it took me down to the bare bones, I didn't have any filters, <laughs> not that I could talk, but um, I was like a very small child learning how to walk again, talk again, do all the things that I used to do. And, you know, children take a long time to learn to walk and they crawl first. Okay, so maybe crawling is a good idea, right? Um, when they learn to walk, they fall down a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes I fell down too, you know? It sounds like, obviously, you know, kudos to him. He was a very you know, patient partner and very involved in part of your recovery. A lot of people may not be so lucky. And, you know, it's, I imagine it's very difficult just to like, it, not, not that like, oh, I have to take care of this person. It's so difficult. Like, just because it's a day in and day out right? Like he didn't get a day off. He doesn't have holidays. He doesn't have weekends. Like this is his day. And so it, it's something that people have to like, keep in mind that this was not a short recovery time for him either. And it happened for him in an instant. He took care of all the chores and me. And I think that stroke survivors need to share how much they appreciate it that someone's taking care of them i agree well i have appreciate all of this immensely um i wanted to get just give you some time if you want to you know plug any service or you know talk about where people can find you i know you sent me a book um, which i appreciate very much uh, so if you want to talk about that, just give you a little time to just tell people where to find you. Okay. So you can find me at strokeforward.com and you can use my name. It's M-A-R-C-I-A at strokeforward.com. I have one thing to tell stroke survivors and I have another thing to tell their caregivers. And the thing I want to tell to stroke survivors is never give up. You have to work at every little thing day after day after day for years, but you will get better if you try. So please try. <laughs> and with the caregivers, I want to say that you come first because if you don't take care of yourself, 
you won't be able to take care of your partner. So remember that you are also important. Yeah, I think that's a very good message. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. You know, there are usually all these things that go at the end of this, but it's a bonus episode. So instead, just go out and enjoy the rest of your day and week. I'll see you next week for our normally scheduled episode. Bye bye <laughs>